This is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. McKnight. Welcome into White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. The White Sox play the Tigers this afternoon. It is a 1-10 first pitch. Our pregame show starts in just two hours. It's a 12-30 kickoff for our pregame show. Not sure why I'd be kicking off a baseball pregame show, uh, but couldn't think of another verb for it. We'll start the pregame show at 1230 this afternoon. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number, as always, here on White Sox Weekly. And for our postgame show, you want to talk a little White Sox this this morning, I should say. Uh, Hop on in. We're here for you. We've also uh, got a loaded show this morning. At 11 o'clock, White Sox starter Dylan Cease and probable all-star Dylan Cease is going to join White Sox Weekly. Looking forward to a conversation with Dylan. He has been nasty all season long. We'll ask him what has made him even nastier than last season uh, and probably about his mustache as well. We have chronicled the mustache this season for Dylan Cease. We have asked you to pick the greatest mustaches in baseball history on our Twitter poll question all throughout the first half, we'll ask Dylan about it, see if he's uh, found the Twitter poll question about all the mustaches, all that kind of stuff. We will also talk about last night's loss to the Tigers, uh, and really the first two of this series. It's been a disappointing start to the series against Detroit. After winning just one against the Minnesota Twins, the Tigers came in playing better ball than they had in the first two months of the season. Boy, the Tigers had only averaged, I think, less than two and a half runs per game in their first two months. So it looked like a four-game series here to end the last homestand of the 2022 first half before the All-Star break. It looked like a four-game series that the White Sox should be able to kind of you know reclaim some some ground in the AL Central, but instead it is the Tigers who have been the upstarts in the first two games and taken the first two decisions. First night it was a two to one win for Detroit, although the White Sox got the tying and winning runs to the plate in the ninth, and then last night a seven to five win for the Tigers. Although the White Sox got the winning run to the plate in the ninth, something they do quite often. No lineups yet for the White Sox. I'll, I'll hit refresh real quickly here on the old browser. Haven't seen it yet. No White Sox lineup. The Tigers have theirs out. I'll be interested to see whether Andrew Vaughn, who got a pinch hit in last night's game, uh, he was the tying run at the plate there for the White Sox in the eighth inning in the pinch hit appearance, got that opportunity, did not play two nights ago. He was under the weather, uh, did not get to start last night for the same reason, but was feeling good enough. To get right back, uh, to ask for a pinch hit appearance, or at least uh, be called on for a pinch hit appearance. So hopefully he is healthy and ready to go uh, for this third game of four against the Tigers today. And we'll get you the lineup uh, as soon as that's out here on White Sox Weekly. I, I think too. Oh, you know, before I go too far down the line, the Chicago White Sox invites you to the annual Double Duty Classic game on Wednesday, July thirteenth. It's at six thirty p.m. 
It's all to celebrate the history and tradition of Negro League Baseball in Chicago and support the next generation of inner-city players. Admission is free. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash ddc. That's whitesox.com slash ddc. The annual Double Duty Classic is an amazing game here at the ballpark. You'll see some real top-tier local inner-city players, uh, as well as some other special invitees from around the area. I had the uh, honor of calling that game back in 2017. Uh, That game was broadcast on television. I was lucky enough to to call it. Alec Thomas, uh, who is now in the bigs with the Arizona Diamondbacks, made one heck of a catch in center field just the other night. He played in that game. One of the top prospects in baseball, Jared Kelnick, played in that game as well. Uh, And so did a lot of really good players uh, from all over the city. The ACE program that the White Sox operates uh, helps populate most of the roster for that game. It's really exciting stuff. These kids are super geeked to come down here and play that game. And with admission free July 13th at 6.30 p.m., you're going to see some fun stuff just by walking over to the ballpark, driving over, and getting yourself all set up and ready to go. Again, the Double Duty Classic July 13th. That's Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Some all-star baseball and a chance to support some really good action here. Visit whitesox.com slash ddc for more information on that game. I cannot speak highly enough about the Double Duty Classic here at the ballpark coming up on July 13th. Uh, more good news for the White Sox before we get into the uh, the last two games, losses against the Detroit Tigers. The White Sox had Tim Anderson selected as the starting shortstop in the American League All-Star roster. Some really cool stuff for T.A. A lot of fun facts that I'll sprinkle in throughout the broadcast today about Tim Anderson being named, uh, voted the starting shortstop on the American League side. He is well-deserving of the honor, obviously. Uh, even, even though he spent a, a couple of weeks on the injured list with a, uh, with a hamstring issue, or with a groin issue, I should say, uh, Tim Anderson, obviously with his... Um, with the resume that he's put together this season, has pulled in enough votes to beat out Bo Bichette for the starting job at shortstop in the American League. But I think also it speaks to a couple of different things. I mean, the slash line, even though he had just broken out of an 0 for 19, is exemplary, right? A 122 OPS plus, 22% better than the average major leaguer. That's what that stat indicates. 316 average, 357 on base, and a 423 slugging. All, as I said, kind of going through the roughest week of his season up to the date. Uh, You see what he's able to do on the base paths, what he's done defensively, correcting some issues after that first month of the season uh, in April where things went a little bit sideways. He has been that guy for the White Sox and really truly has been since 2019 when he led the league in batting average at 335, won the title there. Uh, last year in 2000, well, I should, two, not last year, 2020, nearly had a top five MVP finish, led the league in runs scored, an all star last season for the first time, and now the starting shortstop in the American League for the American League, July 19th at Dodger Stadium. I wouldn't be surprised if the White Sox have one or two more all stars, and I think we'll be talking to one in just a little bit. Dylan Cease is going to be our guest at 11 o'clock, and then we'll talk with Jesse Rogers. Uh, of ESPN, covers the entire league, 
good friend of the program, good friend of the flagship station, ESPN 1000. Jesse Rogers will be our guest at high noon. So a lot to do here on White Sox Weekly this morning. As always, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on the show. You know, I, I look at the last two games, the two against the Tigers, and it's unfortunately for the White Sox, and, and from that, from the offensive perspective, um, more of what the Sox have been looking for almost all season. And, and I think what makes the 39-43 and 43 record right now as frustrating as anything else is that it is very clear that this offense has more it can do. It evidenced that in the 9-8 comeback win over the Minnesota Twins in the final game of that three-game series. They hit three two-run home runs to tie it up. Eloy Jimenez hit one in his first game back, which was great to see. We'll talk a lot about Eloy in just a little bit. Luis Robert had a two-run home run to tie it back up in the fifth. And Andrew Vaughn hit a two-run home run in the eighth to tie it back up at eight in the eighth inning. You know, this, that, rather, is the offense the White Sox have. Full of, of offensive threat, full of power up and down the lineup. And now that it is as healthy as it's been all season, even still missing Yasmani Grandal, we'll talk about him a little bit as well, uh, it should be an offense that can go deep with regularity. Luis Robert hit his 10th home run of the season last night, and he co-leads the team in home runs. He and Jose Abreu uh, both have 10 this season. Abreu got to 10 a couple of nights ago. Robert got to 10 last night. But, you know, up and down, there are, you know, just sub-10 home run guys. And, and offense has been kind of in a weird spot all across the league. But we have seen, you know, 30 last night for uh, for Aaron Judge, 30 home runs. And right on his tail, Kyle Schwarber with 27. There are guys who are hitting for a whole lot of power, even if it is kind of a, a misshapen production line. You see a guy like Christian Walker of the Diamondbacks. If you haven't looked him up in the last little bit, go ahead and do it. It's, it's a weird season, but a productive one for Christian Walker. The average is very low. It's very much a tr- three-true outcome guy, the home runs, the strikeouts, and the walks. Uh, but he's still over the 20 mark. I think in this year where offenses all over baseball have kind of been searching for what can be done and, and how, um, how balanced an approach they can get to has been difficult. The White Sox are in that mix of offenses that are still trying to find how to be the most uh, balanced threat it can be. Um, I, I think last night, too, you know, with the way – well, I, I guess in the first two games against the Tigers, the way Bo Brisky was able to pitch against some of the right-handers in the White Sox lineup and the way Tarek Skubal was able to pitch were different, but, but calculated approaches against the White Sox offense that can, at times, you know, unfortunately struggle against right-handers. And that is the predominant side of pitching that you're going to see in this league, you know, working from that right-handed side. It's why lefties who hit for power are such a, a valuable commodity um, across baseball, uh, across the decades uh, of baseball, too. What Bo Brisky did, I, I think, to the White Sox was a really, um, a really smart game plan. Bo came in with a, a high ERA and not a huge track record of success, some decent stuff and a lot of, a lot of grit, no doubt about that. Brisky worked into right-handers. On the White Sox in the White Sox lineup, and was able to do it with some success because I, I don't think 
a lot of guys saw that as the potential game plan for Bo Brisky. So he got through with some surprise and some well-executed pitches. Tarek Skubel, on the other hand, who had uh, five straight starts, the last five coming into yesterday's game with an ERA you know, sitting at nine, he got back to, I think, what a lot of people see as the high expectations for Tarek Skubel after the first inning of the game. Luis Robert tagged him for a two-run shot. Jose Abreu doubled after that one-out, two-run homer. Uh, Eloy Jimenez struck out, and Adam Engel struck out looking to end the inning. Uh, and then it, it looked like Skubel just really settled in with a good slider that he does have. Uh, and I, I think, unfortunately, the White Sox hitters were, um, you know, kind of uh, got into that uh, that kind of rhythm of seeing Scoobles slider kind of work to the outer edge uh, with a lot of drop to it as well. And Scoobles was pretty comfortable through the second, third, fourth, and up until that fifth inning. In that fifth inning, Tim Anderson led things off. Uh, pardon, hit a one-out single to get on. A.J. Pollock struck out, and Luis Robert hit a single to the left side. Javier Baez picked it up in the hole, you know, almost with his feet on the grass, and threw to second base. That's not a throw you see shortstops make often, but if you had to vote on shortstops that would make that throw, it's Javier Baez. He just kind of plays that way and is willing to take that risk. Uh, He's got the ability that allows him to take that risk, too. Tim seemed, I I guess, surprised by that throw. He went down kind of on his seat on the bag at second base, but in that, you know, kind of late slide or or drop down to the bag because the throw was there on the base at second, uh, that tag was applied, and Tim was kind of on the way down to the base while the tag was being applied, and you can't hold on to the base that entire time. So the White Sox, unfortunately, had an out on the base paths there that cost them the opportunity to perhaps get Scooble working out of the stretch with fewer than two outs in the inning, uh, and then pile up maybe one more hit, maybe two more hits that pushed the starter out of the ball game there. Instead, he settled in for a clean one, two, three, sixth inning, and the White Sox needed the eighth to come back against the bullpen. And, and that's where they did, too. They worked good walks. They had at-bats. They had a pinch hit that went the right way and a couple of singles to chase it all the way back to a 7-5 game and then got the winning run to the plate in the ninth, but were unable to score it against Michael Fulmer. He ended up getting the save. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number. We'll take some calls. Matt in Lakeview, you'll be up first when we come back from a quick break. It's White Sox Weekly. Uh, we've got Dylan Cease coming up at 11 o'clock. I wouldn't be too surprised at all if you're watching Dylan Cease on your television July 19th at Dodger Stadium for the All-Star Game. I would bet that uh, he's probably going to have a plane ride out there to start in that, or not start that game, but to be a starter representing the White Sox for the American League in that game at Dodger Stadium. Uh, we'll talk more about this ball club and we'll take some phone calls as well. 312-332-3776. Matt and Blake Lakeview is up first. When we come back, it's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Greeny, 10 to noon, weekdays on ESPN 1000. It is a Gorgeous day here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Sitting up here in booth six on the broadcast level, I'm Connor McKnight. You're listening to White Sox Weekly. Our pregame show for the White Sox and Tigers is coming up at 1230 this afternoon. First pitch, 110. It's a pitching matchup for the White Sox of Johnny Cueto against Garrett Hill of the Tigers. We'll tell you a little bit about how both those guys have pitched lately. A little bit later on in the show this morning, and of course in the pregame show 
at 1230. A couple of items of news here for you. One change to the White Sox weekly lineup. We're going to move Dylan Cease to 1130, although to be fair, Dylan Cease has moved us to 1130. You can do that when you're about to be named to an all-star team. Uh, Dylan's got work to do, and we will talk to him at 1130 this morning. Uh, Also, heard from Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com and ESPN 1000 and just all over the place, Jesse Rogers. He's a man of the world. Uh, Eloy Jimenez has the day off today. He played in three straight coming back off the injured list, so that's a pretty good workload for Eloy and the White Sox considering that they were looking to get um, looking to be judicious, I, I think, with his playing time coming back off the injured list. Andrew Vaughn is back in the lineup today and will DH. I don't have the full one through nine yet. But that's the latest. Until I take that back. I just did get the full one through nine. Look at that live here on the show. Tim Anderson is at the top of the White Sox card. Sorry, all-star Tim Anderson is at the top of the White Sox card at shortstop. Andrew Vaughn hits two. He's the DH. Luis Robert is in center field batting three. Jose Abreu hits four and is at first base. Gavin Sheets is in right field today batting five. Yoan Moncada plays third base. He'll bat six, seven, eight, and nine for the White Sox are Sebi Zavala, the catcher. Leori Garcia is in left field, and Josh Harrison is at second base, batting nine today. So that is your full White Sox lineup. Andrew Vaughn is back. Eloy Jimenez has the day off. Day game after a night game is uh, kind of what Tony expected to be, kind of where Tony expected to be getting uh, Eloy a day or two. Right now, we're looking down on the field and watching Yoan Moncada and Jake Berger take ground balls. The fun thing about it is Yoan is working over at third base and Jake is working over at second. So that's kind of a fun thing to watch. Yoan's got the great hands out there and uh, what is it? Hot orange shoes, it looks like. It's, it's, it's a good look. I have to ask Yoan exactly what color those shoes are, though, because that, that is a bright fluorescent thing. Out there on the infield here at Guaranteed Break Field. 312-332-3776. That's the number. Our leadoff hitter here on the show today is Matt in Lakeview. What's up, Matt? You're on White Sox. Hey. Hey, good to be here. Thank you. Um, I, speaking of, like, the offensive struggles, you know, if you've paid attention to any White Sox Twitter fan feed, the running joke of the last decade or more is this is where free agent offensive, you know, powerhouses come to die sometimes. And, you know, I'm a little concerned about A.J. Pollock because I look at his numbers last year and 27 homers and hits well against righties and lefties, and it just seems to be another line in the very long list of players that struggle once they get here. And usually you maybe think it's a coincidence because, well, the coaching staff changes, but you look at this coaching staff and a lot of them have survived now three managers. So, I mean, I guess the question is, what are we teaching these players and even teaching some of these players that have been around for so long that, you know, is it just a giant coincidence or is someone going to be held accountable for, you know, the year after year, you look at Adam Dunn, Adam LaRoche, Edwin Encarnacion, and now, Someone like A.J. Pollock, who was, has been solid for years. You know, I just don't have an answer. I'm not sure anyone does. 
Well, Matt, it's interesting that you've uh, kind of linked those two things together. I would say that with veterans, and, and again, the other thing, too, is A.J. Pollock was a trade, not a free agent. Remember, he was the return for Craig Kimbrell when Kimbrell was dealt to the Dodgers uh, just before the start of this season. I understand the point generally. I, I, I get that it's not uh, necessarily exclusive of guys that you're calling free agents or, or veteran additions to the ball club. Uh, they are not all failures. Obviously, the White Sox have added uh, some really impactful veterans. Um, Josh Harrison is one of them. Uh, got off to a slow start, sure, uh, but I think was a little bit banged up. And if you look at the numbers since the start of June or really even back into the first or I should say last two weeks of May, Josh Harrison's been absolutely terrific. So uh, just for what it's worth, I do think, though, that, you know, Matt, as you kind of point out, what are coaches teaching to guys like A.J. Pollock? I, I would say not much. I don't think that is the issue. I don't think any team brings in a guy who has, let's see, 11 years, 10 years of service time leading up to his you know, first stint with the White Sox in, in the case of A.J. Pollock and says, all right, you've been great for most of for, for your whole career. Uh, we'd, we'd love for you to stay healthy, so here's a couple of things you do that way. Now change your entire approach because this is how we do things here. That, that doesn't that's not how teams, any team in baseball, welcomes in a, a veteran. Not typically. There are some situations where, I don't know, maybe you, you bring in a, a veteran who has sat the last two years because a young rookie's taken his spot, and you think, hey, you know, we've, we can get you another life here in the bigs by changing this thing or, or by by doing this one weird trick, right, the, the clickbait at the bottom of a website that you shouldn't click. Don't ever click those. They never take you to the one weird trick that's actually going to cure the thing that you're looking to cure. But I, I, I do think that, you know, when you, when you look at A.J. Pollock as a player, look at the rolling averages for his weighted runs created plus or, or even his, his OPS um, or his weighted on base average, a lot of different metrics that measure the um, that do its best to me- measure the offensive whole of a player and not just one stat. It kind of aggregates a handful of things and then rates them to league average, which I think is really important, especially when you're looking at an offensive environment like this, like 2022, that stands out as pretty different from 2021, very different from 2020 for a whole bunch of reasons that have nothing to do with baseball and a lot of things to do with a virus that nobody wanted in their lives. Uh, And then 2019, which was also somewhat different as well. Um, All that to say, I I like those stats because it does its best to rate players against the rest of players in that era. Pollock can be a streaky guy. Um, I, I think that's kind of been his track record while playing while healthy. I, I think I brought this up on a White Sox Weekly earlier in the season. Molly Knight, who is a baseball writer and one of my absolute favorites, she came up covering the Dodgers and now has more of a national beat, uh, but definitely has a, a Dodgers um, a pedigree in, in her baseball coverage. She wrote a book on the Dodgers after they had made a, a couple of different NLCSs, but prior to their winning World of the World Series in 2020, it was just a, it's a fantastic read. Um, all that to say, she, she knows the Dodgers well, and, and by that measure knows A.J. Pollock pretty well, his having played for the Dodgers since 2019. And she just kind of remarked on, on that A.J. is a streaky player. While he's hot, he's going to be one of the White Sox fans' favorite guys. And I, I think that's been shown here in 2022, because when he's been on, he has been on 
on. I mean, his work out of the second spot while Tim Anderson, or out of the leadoff spot and second spot while Tim Anderson was out, was exemplary stuff and, and stuff that the White Sox absolutely needed to hang on to an 8-10 and 10 record while they were without, among other guys, Tim Anderson, one of the most important offensive forces at the top of the lineup. So, you know, I think while A.J. goes through some struggles here, he's going to be pretty impactful to the White Sox offense um, as the season goes along. And I think that's, you know, DJ talked about this a little bit last night on the broadcast. I think what what is needed is something that is a little bit elusive uh, for a ball club and has been for the White Sox, you know, up to this point in the season. They need a couple of guys to be hot all at the same time. You know, they had Tim Anderson absolutely on fire in uh, for the, they call it two and a half, three weeks leading up to his groin injury. Uh, and in a couple games since coming back, uh, he's been good up to the last four or five where he, he went through that 0 for 19 and has kind of seen the average drop a couple of points. They have had Jose Abreu be absolutely fantastic since the middle of May. He's kind of been that steadying force. Andrew Vaughn has been that guy as well. But, you know, looking for the rest to be hot and not just kind of um, not just kind of managing and getting their hits here or there, kind of like Luis Robert has over the last little bit, uh, not in the last week or so, but, but prior to that. That's what they're looking for, and I think that's what might make this offense um, really kind of turn and, and start to click. And instead of being uh, an offense that is quiet for four or five innings in the middle of starts against Bo Brisky or Tarek Skubal, uh, looks more like the offense that put up nine against the Twins in that final game of a three-game series. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number you want to hop on like Matt did. White Sox Weekly is here for you. Give us a ring and we'll talk White Sox. We've got Dylan Cease coming up at 1130. When we come back after a break, we're going to hear from Lucas Giolito and his postgame comments last night. It was a good start that unfortunately took a turn after uh, the bullpen came in and couldn't quite hold the runners where they were against the Tigers last night. I I still think, though, that Lucas has three straight starts of looking much, 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 much better uh, than he had in his five-start struggle. We'll talk about what that was and what Lucas has changed, and we'll hear from him as well when we come back on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. It's the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. We're on Twitch. Follow ESPN 1000 Chicago. This is White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. It is a beautiful day here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Come on out. Hopefully the White Sox can turn it around after losing the first two against the Tigers in this four-game set. Lucas Giolito spoke to reporters after the post-game last night. Want to bring that to you, and we will in just a couple of seconds here. We'll pause at 10 for stations to identify themselves up and down the network. From the First Midwest Bank, a division of Old National Bank, State Street Studio. This is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. So last night, the Tigers took the second of this four-game series, 7-5, to five, two straight losses for the White Sox. They are 39 and 43 coming into play today. The good news is that this division is still there for the White Sox, and I know that's been something we've been talking about a lot here on the show, on the post-game show, on the pre-game show with Lennon DJ, uh, but it is a fact. It's it's six games. The Twins lost last night to the Rangers. The Guardians lost last night to the Royals. So the division, uh, the picture as it is, stays just the same after last night's loss by all three of the top teams in the AL Central. Six games is still a gettable thing 
for any of those teams. You know, if the Guardians were in this same position, I would say, you know, and the White Sox were on top, I would say, well, listen, this is still, you know, this is tight. You need to be playing it a little bit better. You need to be, um, you know, keeping an eye on the Guardians and on the Twins if, if everything was flipped around. Uh, or if teams were jumbled in their different spots here in the top three. The White Sox began the season with something like a 75% chance to make the playoffs right now. That's changed a little bit. and get you the full number, get you the actual playoff uh, odds number for the White Sox in a couple of different places here in this 11 o'clock hour. We're going to talk with Dylan Cease at 11.30, so be sure you stay tuned for that. Lucas Giolito, though, spoke to reporters after the game last night, Lucas went six innings and gave up five runs in total. Some of them surrendered by Joe Kelly after he came out of the bullpen to try and get the final out of the seventh. Lucas gave up five hits. He struck out eight. He walked two. He gave up one home run to Jamer Candelario in the sixth. He walked Spencer Torkelson to start that inning. And then Candelario hit the homer to tie things up at two aside in that sixth inning, and then it went, they got two strikeouts in that sixth, did Giolito, to end the frame. Here is Lucas last night. Felt like we were in a good spot, uh, executing pitches. You know, the homer just left the changeup up. I'm really pissed off about that inning's a walk. And then the next inning, same thing, walk comes back to hurt me. Kind of uh, hit your thigh after the, the second walk to Torkelson. Did you kind of feel something mechanically off that you were sensing there, or is it just kind of frustration? No, just frustrated. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the way I was throwing the ball tonight, uh, I shouldn't be, you know, falling behind or even, you know, I, I think I was ahead of him that at bat and then, uh, you know, throw, throw a few balls and yeah. let it get away there. At the end of the day, you know, pitch count was low. I gotta, I gotta give us a better chance there. You know, I put us, I put us, I was doing well, and then I put us right in a hole that our offense had to try and climb out of, and they, they gave it a hell of a shot. But um, you know, I can't, I can't let that get out of hand. I did. That's White Sox starter Lucas Giolito, and you can hear it from Lucas too. Really, every one of the White Sox starters, they want real badly to make sure as as this offense has kind of gone through. Uh, what it has over the first half of the season. We are now through uh, 82 games here this year. The starters want to make sure that it's as simple as possible for the offense to get themselves back into games or hold on to leads, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you can hear Lucas asking for, you know, asking himself uh, for more than he was able to give last night or more than he than he did give last night. And that's, that's an admirable thing, you know, for a starter to do that. It's a lot to ask. It's a lot for Lucas to put on those very broad and very high up shoulders. Uh, but he's been able to do it before. And I, I think, too, what's really important for Lucas over these last three starts is that they didn't look anything like the five starts where he was really searching for it and giving up a lot of hard contact and had the you know the 9-4 ERA. That was a real struggle for him. Um, fortunately for him, for the White Sox, uh, and for hopefully the rest of the season, during those five, during that last one in the month of May and then the first four in the month of June where, where Lucas was really searching for it, the White Sox offense was able to bail him out of two of those starts. The, white, the rest of the White Sox starting staff was able to prop up the team. The bullpen was as well um, and, and manage that stretch of baseball. There, there haven't been too many stretches, unfortunately, for the White Sox this year 
where things have looked real solid. There was a six-game win streak from the beginning of May into the middle of May. You know, the White Sox uh, swept the Cubs. They took one from the Angels, swept the Cubs, and then swept the Red Sox in Fenway. But that was all the way back in the beginning of May. There was a good stretch where they won six of, I think, ten toward the middle of June. And over this last little bit... You know, they won three in a row against the Giants, came back home and lost the first two to the Twins, took a big one in that 9-8 uh, to eight win against the Twins in the final game of that three-game series and have now lost the first two to the Detroit Tigers. But uh, as I mentioned starting this segment here on White Sox Weekly, the division has allowed for you know that kind of up and down to still be a, a part of contention here in the AL Central. And... You know, you got to keep this division as close as you can. We talked last White Sox Weekly, last Saturday, about just how big this stretch of baseball is for the White Sox coming into the All-Star break. you got to stay close here with as many divisional games as the White Sox are playing that series against the Twins, this one against the Tigers. This road trip coming up here leading into the All-Star break is a giant stretch of baseball because you've got four in three games, four in three days, rather, against the Cleveland Guardians. It's a 6-10 first pitch on Monday. There's the doubleheader on Tuesday the 12th. Then Wednesday, getaway day at 6-10. They're off to face the Twins Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's the 14th through the 17th of July before the All-Star break on the 18th. You get four days off for that All-Star break, then you're right back at it with another four games in three days against the Cleveland Guardians. That game on the 23rd, or that, that 23rd schedule, is a doubleheader. Uh, and you hear all here on the ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network, of course. And these are all going to be big games. You can stay right in it. You can you know chip away at this divisional lead. I think the opportunity to take the lead is probably out of your hands having lost two of three to the Twins in this first series of this stretch. Uh, but who knows? You know, the, the, the Twins could play poorly here over the next two weeks as well, and they could give you an opportunity right back because a four-game series, it, it's just that's a lot. That is a lot of games with, with a big potential swing on the line for the White Sox, for the Twins, for the Guardians all coming up. And I think, too, you know, I was talking about the playoff odds uh, that, that different websites give you for the White Sox, for different teams as well. And I'll get to those in just a second. But I think it's worth kind of um, pointing out what the Twins' schedule is coming up, to the, coming up to the All-Star break as well. They're playing the Rangers right now. They lost last night 6-5. to five. They get the off day on Monday. They get two against the Milwaukee Brewers, who are playing pretty good baseball and have a pretty good pitching staff, no doubt, on Tuesday and Wednesday, then that four-game stretch against the White Sox. So you know they're a little bit lighter, definitely lighter, in terms of games played, and they will be fresher for that four-game series against the White Sox, or at least you would imagine they would be, having had the off day this past Thursday and then an off day on Monday the 11th. The Guardians, meanwhile, Cleveland, they're against the Royals, for this weekend series. They have the, the, the series against the White Sox, four games in three days, the 11th, 12th, and 13th. And then they're facing the Detroit Tigers, who, as evidenced here at Guaranteed Rate Field over the last two, and as evidenced by their 8-2 and two record in their last 10, are playing a lot better baseball. And most of it is since Riley Green uh, got healthy enough to get the call up for his big league debut. Riley has looked good 
in his first stint in Major League Baseball. The White Sox have kept him mostly quiet, which is a plus. He was 0 for 4 in the first game last night or two nights ago, and he had a walk with four strikeouts yesterday. So they've kept him quiet at the top of the Tigers lineup, but they've got enough hitters that have done some damage against the White Sox in these first two games. So hopefully guys like Johnny Cueto and the rest of the Sox bullpen are able to keep those Tigers hitters quiet this afternoon and grab a win. They're first in this four-game series against Detroit here at Guaranteed Rate Field today. We'll talk more about the playoff odds when we come back. We're going to talk with Dylan Cease at 1130. That's all coming up here on White Sox Weekly. It's the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Chicago's home for sports. You've got us. ESPN 1000. Hey, it's White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Sox fans, join us here at Guaranteed Rate Field on Friday, July 22nd. The White Sox take on the Cleveland Guardians at 7.10 p.m. that night. Be sure to stay after the game for a post-game fireworks show presented by He Gets Us. To purchase tickets, visit whitesocks.com slash promos. You can also join us for Family Sundays at Guaranteed Rate Field. Love Family Sundays. Maybe one of my favorite days here at the ballpark because after the game, win or lose, uh, kids run the bases. And that is just I, my favorite postgame shows are when we're up here Sunday postgame doing the postgame show and trying to keep a straight face while a whole bunch of little kids White Sox fans, all of them are running the bases around the field, and so, and on some days, let's be let's be real honest. On some days, White Sox closer Liam Hendricks is running the bases with the kids. I, just, it happens sometimes. It's an absolute hoot. Anyway, all of that happens on Family Sundays here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Tickets start at ten bucks. Parking for only fifteen. Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca Cola. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Sundays. To purchase your tickets today, got Dylan Cease going to join the show at eleven thirty. Uh, Tim Anderson is an all-star. He is the starting shortstop in the American League. Get you some fun facts about TA's selection to the All-Star team, to the starting lineup for the American League All-Stars in, in just a moment. Uh, actually, you know what? Let's do that now because it's it's fun, and I think fun is important. Tim Anderson has now made the All-Star team in back-to-back years. And he is the first White Sox shortstop to accomplish that feat since Ozzie Guillen in 1990 and 1991. Tim is also the sixth White Sox shortstop in history to make the All-Star team. See if you can. I'll give you a moment. Think about him for a second in your car. Don't take your hands off the wheel and count on your hands. You need to, to keep your hands on the wheel. The six shortstops to make it previously are Alexi Ramirez, Ozzie Guillen, Luis Aparicio, Chico Carrascal, and Luke Appling. He is the fourth White Sox shortstop since Aparicio, who made it seven times, last time in 1970. Carasquel three times, and Appling twice. He's the first, I like this one a lot, actually. He is the first White Sox homegrown all-star starter since Chris Sale in 2016. If you're going, oh, well, pitchers don't count. He is the first homegrown position player to start since Frank Thomas in 1997. This I hadn't realized. He is the second African-American player to be voted starting American League shortstop. Derek Jeter, nine-time All-Star, last did this in 2014. Six African-American players have started at shortstop for the National League. Addison Russell, Jimmy Rollins, Barry Larkin, Ozzie Smith, Maury Wills, 
and Ernie Banks. He is also, all kinds of fun facts today here about Tim Anderson making the All-Star team, he's also one of eight White Sox first-round picks to be named an All-Star. Carlos Rodon in 2014, Chris Sale in 2010, Frank Thomas in 89, Robin Ventura in 88, Jack McDowell in 87, real good run in the late 80s of White Sox rookies, uh, or White Sox first-rounders, I should say, Harold Baines in 77, and Carlos May in 66. So a whole bunch of fun facts on Tim Anderson being selected as the starting shortstop for the American League All-Star team. Uh, The other thing I wanted to look at here, we just got done doing a whole segment, kind of a portentous one, about the upcoming schedule for the White Sox. So many games against division opponents, and a lot of them against the two teams that are above the White Sox in the standings in the American League Central. I gave you the standings a little bit earlier in the show. I guess it's worth resetting here real quick since we're going to talk playoff odds. The Twins are 47-39. and 39. They're on top of the division. They lead the Guardians by four and a half games. The Guardians just went to under five hundred with a loss to the Royals last night. They're 40-41, and 41, four and a half games back. The White Sox, of course, are four games under, 39 and 43, six games back of the Twins. They are a five and five in their last 10 games. Now, I, I like Fangraph's playoff odds mostly because it gives you a whole wide spectrum of it. Um, the, for instance, the baseball reference odds give the White Sox a 19.5% chance to make the postseason. Fangraph's does a little bit more of a a rounder approximation of playoff odds, I think. Uh, but that's just me. You know, you can look anywhere you want. And obviously that is a, a listen, the, the White Sox are four games under 500 and the Twins have, you know, shot to a division lead of six games. What is to the White Sox advantage right now is having so many games left against the Minnesota Twins. And I'll, I'll revisit this in a, just a second here once I get you the playoff odds. But the White Sox, as per fan graphs right now, have a 30% chance to win the division. They have a 13.4% chance of clinching a wild card spot, which, lumped all together, makes it a 43.5% chance of making the playoffs. The Guardians have shot up to a 21.7% chance of making the playoffs, and the Twins have a 66% chance of making the playoffs. All of that is is projection, right? It doesn't take into account uh, future injuries. Uh, it does the its best to approximate playing time, and it does a lot of looking at what opponents are next or are left, I should say, for each individual team. And we talked about this some too. You know, the White Sox have relative to the winning percentage, or I guess uh, taking into account the winning percentages of their opponents coming up, one of the easiest schedules, if not the easiest, in baseball. By that measure, that still means, though, that you've got to take care of business. And unfortunately for the White Sox, you know, just recently having lost three of four to the Baltimore Orioles here at Guaranteed Rate Field, uh, dropping two against the Tigers, there, there needs to be, and I think a lot of White Sox players would tell you this and have told you this over the last couple of weeks, there needs to be a little bit more of taking care of business against those kinds of teams. Now, here's another thing that I, I think is just kind of wild about the way the schedule sets up this year. Obviously, there had to be a lot of, um, or a good deal of reworking done on that schedule. Once the 99-day lockout ended, the three and a half weeks of spring training were uh, agreed to, and the schedule was reworked. The White Sox have six games of the final nine against the Minnesota Twins. All the way into September and then October, 
On the 27th, 28th, and 29th of September, they are on the road at Target Field to play the Twins. They will then head to San Diego, the White Sox will, to play three games against the Padres, then come back home. Boy, that's a tough traveling schedule, too. Then come back home from San Diego on October 3rd to play the Minnesota Twins for the last three games of the regular season. That's a lot of opportunities against who is now, against which is now the first-place team. That's a lot of opportunities for a White Sox team that maintains its ability to go ahead and take this American League Central, get hot, make a playoff run, the likes that they've been talking about for two years now. This remains the expectation for these White Sox, and I think it's important to look at their opportunities to do so, both in the final week, call it two weeks of the season, and also in these next two weeks. You know, I just mentioned the the last nine games for the White Sox, but when you look at the, the final month, there's three against the Cleveland Guardians and then three against the Detroit Tigers in the last two and a half weeks of the season as well. So, you know, those divisions, uh, or rather these division, this division, is kind of up for grabs until it's not. Um, and I got to say that at six games, it's obviously much farther out than the White Sox wanted to be at this point in the season. But it is not done, uh, not by a long stretch. One of the guys that might help the White Sox, should help the White Sox when he's back and eligible, is Yasmani Grandal. He hit a home run last night at A Birmingham, walked a couple of times as well. He has played two games as the designated hitter for the Birmingham Barons. It sounds like the plan is for him to get a couple at A before going to AAA and then hopefully rejoining the White Sox at some point quickly after the All-Star break is over. That would be here at home against Cleveland for three games out of the All-Star break. White Sox have a weird schedule, too, coming out of the break. They've got three against Cleveland, pardon, four against Cleveland in three days, then the off day, then two in Colorado, then back home after an off day for three against the Oakland A's. Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a jumbled set. So I don't know, maybe that home game, that home series, rather, against Oakland, uh, where you also stay home to place the Kansas City Royals first week of August. Maybe that's where Grandal kind of targets his return. Certainly be uh, a good place for him to get back and be the force that he was in the second half of the season coming back from injury last year. Gosh, he did such an amazing job uh, coming back from that, that, that hurt, that surgery last year. Uh, we got to take a break. When we come back, White Sox starter Dylan Cease is going to join White Sox Weekly, so stay tuned. He's next. It's the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Cap the game. Cap and J-Hood. Mornings on ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Got the White Sox and Tigers coming up here from Guaranteed Rate Field this afternoon. It is a 1-10 first pitch, a 12-30 pregame show. We're looking forward to being joined by Dylan Cease. He's our scheduled guest here on White Sox Weekly. We'll talk with Jesse Rogers at noon as well. Get kind of a 10,000-foot view on uh, the AL Central and the league everywhere else. We are you know, kind of quickly approaching the trading deadline. Although, you know, something I've noticed since the major league, or the minor league draft, rather, the amateur draft, has been bumped up into the month of July, it really has kind of quelled a lot of the trade rumor talk in, in most of the month of July. And that's 
that's one of my favorite parts of the season. You know, I, I grew up, I'm 30, 36, 30, it doesn't matter how old I am. Grew up playing baseball video games, right? I mean, I, you know, out there playing wiffle ball and playing Little League and Babe Ruth and all that kind of stuff and doing it badly. Uh, but playing a lot of baseball video games and trades are the, that's the fun part. That's what makes this sport I think the Major League Baseball trading deadline and how this has worked for you know decades and stuff makes this sport different than others in a way that you you can, I mean yeah you get some trades in the NBA at the deadline and those can be fun and stuff like that but most of those big trades go on around the draft you know I mean like in the off season and in the NFL there aren't nobody trades anybody in the NFL there's like one big trade a year although I think that's changing some in the last couple of seasons baseball you get big in season trades you get massive helpful players that move from one team or another. You get guys that reshape the trajectory of franchises and stuff at a deadline. That's uh, that's very enjoyable to me in a way that other sports don't really do it. And we haven't seen enough of it, I think, over the last couple of seasons. But we'll see what happens here coming up to this deadline. Anyway, we'll talk all about that with Jesse Rogers, too. You, by the way, uh, can join the White Sox as they take on the Cleveland Guardians July 23rd at 6.15 p.m., the first 20,000 fans will receive a Yasmani Grandal bobblehead presented by Guaranteed Rate, the official mortgage provider of the Chicago White Sox. Visit rate.com to get started. Guaranteed Rate, a faster way home to purchase tickets. Visit whitesox.com. Tim Anderson is the starting shortstop for the American League All-Star team, and I would bet that the White Sox have another All-Star, maybe even two or three, to be named to the roster. You know, there's a lot of guys get hurt, don't go, all that kind of stuff, but I think one that will definitely get there on his uh, on the merits of what he's done so far is Dylan Cease. Looking forward to talking with him in just a bit. I was scrolling through on, on Twitter this morning. Uh, Sox Nerd is a good follow on Twitter for those of you White Sox fans who like fun facts and nuggets, all that kind of stuff. I saw him post uh, that on this day in 2002, White Sox all-star Paul Konerko went two for two with two doubles. I think you know where I'm going with this. In the 7-7 to all-star game at Miller Park in Milwaukee, Mark Burley threw two innings, gave up two hits and a run. And that 7-7 All-Star game was the one that tied it in Milwaukee. I don't know if you remember where you were. I remember where I was watching at home. I was a, a young high school was a senior, junior there, I guess, watching that game and kind of, I don't know if apoplectic was the right word as the All-Star game ended in a tie, but I was certainly thinking, well, I don't know what's going on here, uh, and then just kind of calling it in a tie. And after that, we played the All-Star game with... Uh, home field on on the line, I guess. It's, uh, oof, boy, that was a, was a weird time. Uh, we're going to hear from Dylan Cease in a little bit. He's uh, working out in the bullpen, and if the guy's got a .6 ERA over his last, what is it, uh, eight starts? Yeah, eight starts and a .6 ERA. The rule is on White Sox Weekly that we will wait uh, for a guy with a point six, if Dylan's ERA was like point seven, you know, I don't know, maybe we'd be calling him. No, it's 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 fine. We'll get to Dylan in just a little bit. Um, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Got the lineup for the White Sox early on in White Sox Weekly. I uh, want to reset that just a little bit. We've got, uh, let's see here, Andrew Vaughn is back in the lineup for the White Sox today. He was under the weather. Um, I think we'll hear from Tony La Russa in just a little bit as to uh, what was up with Eloy getting the day. What is up with Eloy getting the day off uh, and with TA making the all-star team with Andrew Vaughn playing today. But here is the White Sox lineup 
uh, for this game three against the Tigers in his set of four. Tim Anderson's at the top. Andrew Vaughn is the DH. Luis Robert is in center field. Jose Abreu's at first. Gavin Sheets is in right. Yoan Moncada is at third base. Sebi Zavala is catching. Leori Garcia is in left. And Josh Harrison is at second base, batting nine. Be good to see Andrew Vaughn back in the lineup. I was just looking up Vaughn's numbers um, over the last, call it two weeks. And you'll remember he went through a stretch where uh, he was three for 14 in about four different games, but still hitting the ball really hard. As I was looking that up, the hard hit rates for Vaughn, it was like two baseballs that he hadn't hit hard. Everything that he hit, despite you know hitting like 130 over a stretch of three, four games, was hit over 93 miles per hour. And I, I was just thinking about it in the sense of, okay, here's a guy going up there, doing what he's done all season long, lacing balls in the right field and um, and not getting the results that you're accustomed to, hitting balls that hard, opposite way. You know, that's where hits live in baseball right now. But still, you know, the exit velocities and the trajectories and all that kind of stuff, we're checking out positively for Andrew Vaughn. So getting him back in the lineup, obviously a huge thing for the White Sox today. And we'll uh, we'll see him in the lineup batting second for the Sox against the Tigers this afternoon. Yeah, let's, um, you know, while we wait for Dylan Cease to join us, he's finishing up a bullpen session. Let's hear from Tony LaRusso. He spoke a little earlier today. Eloy Jimenez has the day off today, uh, and Tony LaRusso kind of explained why. Here is Tony. The day after that game made the most sense. He can rest for Will Martin. He's, he's a little sore, but just normal soreness. It's a good sign. What have, you noticed from his, what have you noticed from his timing and how he's been at the play? I think he did a lot of good work. He's really concentrating on me. Just making hard contact with that. You know, trying to hit the ball to the scoreboard, which is... Means he'll hit the ball to the scoreboard more often. Along with a bunch of other hits. I've been very impressed. He's in a, he was in good physical condition, too. Yeah, I, 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 uh, Miguel just said it, too. You know, he's really in good shape. So, he's paid his dues. You know, he just make sure that stays on his program, which I think he will. He didn't like to be hurt. He knows we're not better when he's hurt, so assuming responsibility. Do you feel for a guy like that? I mean, obviously he's back now and he's going to get his regular swings, but, I mean, young player, a lot of talent, a lot of energy, and he's had two years where he's yeah. lost you know, half a season. Well, I mean, talk about learning the hard way. You know, I mean, if you're somebody telling you when you start, look, you got to take care of yourself. And, you know, do everything you can. Not that he didn't take care of himself, but you know, you try the best you can to stay on the field. Yeah, it sounds right, but until you really experience missing it, and then, you know, if you get hurt, rehab is painful. So he's he's paid that twice. So, but the way he was anyway, he you know, he loves being in uniform. He appreciates being here. So it's that that part's not there, but I think it'll usually it, it cements in for the rest of his career how important that process. You know, sometimes when you're younger. You get away with not crossing every tape. Uh, and then later on, you realize how important it is just to make sure you stretch on it. He's learning early. It'll help him. That's White Sox manager Tony LaRusa. I think that's all some uh, pretty well reasoned stuff as it regards Eloy Jimenez. He is off today. Uh, was the DH last night after playing left field in two straight games. Eloy is uh, he's a, he's an important 
important kind of understates it. He is a huge presence in this White Sox lineup, in this White Sox franchise, in the scope of it as well. He is a transformational power bat who can hit for average and take his walks when he's issued them. Um, that is a, that's a guy that's been missing for the White Sox over the last two years uh, due to injury, obviously. Um, and we'll see why, what kind of impact Eloy can make in this White Sox lineup. He's, he got worked back into it. Day game after night game, though, as, as Tony kind of led off in that comment, uh, it, it's, just, it's just not worth pushing at this point, especially as, you know, listen, you've, you've got Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets who have been getting jobs done over the last little bit. Sheets had a huge pinch hit for the White Sox last night, uh, lefty on lefty, too, so great to see Gavin uh, get that done as well. Dylan Cease is our guest here on White Sox Weekly. He has just wrapped up a bullpen session and joins us now. Dylan, appreciate you, my man. Thanks for hopping on. How'd the bullpen session go? Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I actually bullpen tomorrow. Uh, today was just a little core velo belt and uh, some tossing. So when we talked yesterday and we wanted to set a time, you said, okay, day two, 11, 11.30, that should work. How regimented are, are your days in between starts? What is day two? Take White Sox fans through what day two for Dylan Cease is. Yeah, they're pretty regimented. Um, you know, day games can kind of change things up a little bit. You don't have quite as much time. But uh, for the most part on day two, it's, it's uh, stretching and, and getting the body ready for throwing. Um, lately, I've been doing day three bullpen, so day two has just been more of a uh, stretch, um, get ready, do some manuals with the trainers, and then uh, go do core velo belt. I'll, I'll toss, and uh, my main focus with, with my throwing is just honestly like the little things, like keeping my head on the target, just trying to be disciplined with that. And then uh, <clears throat> once I'm finished with that, I, I go in and I do shoulder care, uh, do work with the trainers, and then I'll go do uh, an upper body lift. So. That's that's pretty typical of a day two, but um, sometimes I'll, there's a bullpen mixed in there. But lately, like I said, it's been more day three. White Sox starter Dylan Cease joining us here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, Dylan, I have a question <clears throat> that I'm going to ask you. We've been doing this with our White Sox Weekly guests, uh, Jake Berger and Josh Harrison, and I, I think Gavin did it as well. I'm going to ask yeah. you the question now, and we'll we'll get the answer from you later. Just kind of want you to you know, bake and marinate on this. The okay. question is going to be, what is one thing that you've never done but are unreasonably confident that you'd be good at. One thing you've never done, but are unreasonably confident you'd be good at. I have Jake Berger's yeah. answer. I think you'll be surprised by it. I have Josh's answer. I can tell you those. We're going to get to him after the uh, toward the end of the interview, though. Okay. I, okay, I'll I let it marinate. Yeah, let, it, let, that, let that sink. Um, it's a .6 ERA for you over your last eight starts. I was reading uh, James Fegan and Eno Saris the guys who write for The Athletic, about how you've changed your slider grip. I guess as best as you can in layman terms, I would love to know why you wanted to change the slider grip and what you were looking to accomplish by doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I went through like a, a couple-game stretch where uh, the slider was, was more cuttery, meaning like it wasn't getting very much depth to it. And... Um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't getting as much swing and miss. It just wasn't playing as as dominant as I would like it to play. So uh, I was just kind of playing around with it, and I decided to try gripping the ball a little deeper in my hand. So like putting my fingers. It, it's kind of hard to explain without having a ball in, in front of you. But um, basically, I just wrap my fingers uh, further down the ball, and uh, for whatever reason, that just has been creating like way more depth. And then I'm able to consistently throw it a little bit harder too, which is also 
um, important with off speed, and the harder you can throw it, usually the better. So um, I've kind of I've gotten more depth now. I'm throwing it harder, and then I'm also throwing it more consistently for strikes. So it was kind of like a a trifecta of of you know good, goodness happening at once that has really helped elevate it. Gotta love a trifecta of goodness. I think that's yeah. that's exa- that's how I like my trifectas. To be honest <laughs> with you, it's full of goodness. Yeah. So does that? Do you think you have? I, uh, do you think you have two pitches now in that move? Like with with the the fuller grip, the deeper grip, and then that more shallow one. If if you wanted to throw a bit more of a cuttery pitch, or no? I think if I wanted to, I, I could. But I, I pretty much just, I, I'm just throwing the more the one with more depth, um, and just it, it's. I feel like if you have something that's working, then you the next next stage is just to make it as consistent as possible. So the more reps I get with with the one pitch. Um, for me, I think that's just better in the long run. You've seen teams throw a lot of left-handers out at you over the yeah. last uh, two starts, maybe even three going back uh, to the one before the Giants. Yeah. What does that say to you? How are you looking to uh, attack lefties particularly? Yeah, it's, um, you know, obviously they're playing the matchups. Um, you know, my numbers are, are very good against righties, so I think just – you know they're trying to trying to give themselves as good a chance as they can, um, and it really is just the same of of getting my off speed in the zone. Uh, fastball command is always always um, you know the most important, but equally as important I would say is, is getting that slider in the zone um, and just getting that count leverage. If I if I'm O two or one two, it doesn't matter what side they're from. It, it's it's very difficult. So um, you know it's just just getting the strikes. When your resume, when you're a ball player, your resume is out there for everybody. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I can click over to your baseball reference page. Oh, yeah. I see that you lead the league in strikeouts per nine. You know the whole thing. Seventeen starts. It's bold and italic, man. Like I, I know. <laughs> so that means you know that you've got a great consideration for the All Star team this year. Yeah. How do you process that in your brain? Yeah, it's um, it's been a really, a really solid first half. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to jinx myself with it, but it, it would definitely be a huge honor. Um, I, I grew up, my twin brother and I watched those pretty religiously growing up. So um, if I were able to be a part of that, it would be really special. But like I said, I'm, I'm so far I've kind of done a good job of, of not thinking about it too much. So um, yeah, but ho- hopefully it, it comes to fruition. I was uh, I was also a big All Star Game watcher. It's right around my birthday every summer, so it's I, I had that time. Mm. And I was just looking online through Twitter. This is the twentieth anniversary of the seven seven tie in Milwaukee. Do you guys do you remember watching that with your brother? Is that the one where uh, Tory Hunter robbed Barry Bonds? Yep, right at the picture on the because remember in Milwaukee they had that dude painted on the outfield wall that was going yeah. up to rob a homer, and he was right there doing it. Yeah, yeah, I. I I don't remember a lot from that game, but I definitely either saw, I either watched that or saw highlights of it, either one. Um, yeah. yeah. So if you, do you allow yourself to think about what what things you'd like, what like cool one-off things you'd like to do if you hit the All-Star game, or is that a not-yet thing for you? Uh, one-off in what sense? Like, I've made it to the All-Star game, I'm going to make sure I take a selfie on the field during oh. the Home Run Derby, or, you know, whatever else that you're, whatever little things that you're looking to get done. Huh. Well, I, I haven't thought in regards to that. Um, definitely, uh, I would expect it, since it's it's in LA, I would expect it to be pretty wild. Um, so just 
for me, I think just I'm just going to show up if it happens. Obviously, um, just show up and enjoy the ride, and I'm sure I'll get all kinds of of cool pictures and and uh, some some really fun stories. So let's uh, let's finish it off with what has been marinating for a little while here, Dylan. What yeah. is I asked you toward the start? What is one thing you have never tried but are unreasonably confident you'd be good at? I am happy to give you uh, both Jake Berger and Josh Harrison's answer to this. All right, yeah, let me hear. It. Let me hear what they came up okay. with. So Jake, this one's the wild one. Jake said he would be really good at a chess tournament. <laughs> to which, uh, so I then I tried to find chess tournaments to enter him into uh, during off days here, but unfortunately couldn't find one for you guys. Josh said he'd be really good at acting. He wants to uh, okay. he wants to try his hand at acting. Okay. You know, I think I think I would be a pretty solid at some sort of writing gig, whether it be like writing a book or journalism or something. Um, I'm, that tended that used you know, that pretty much was my one of my better subjects in school, and I usually have a, a pretty good vocabulary. So I'm going to go with uh, authoring. All right, I get yeah. that. So I was I was actually an, an English teacher in a different life. Are you like more oh. the creative side or more like the the journalist, hard news, investigative stuff? Because I, I know you've done yeah. you've dabbled in some poetry. Yeah, I think honestly, I think both. I'm I'm a pretty curious person. I like to research things, so I think I could do journalism. But um, yeah, also I'm, I'm you know every once in a while so a, a poetic bone will, will poetic moment will strike. So. Um, yeah, e- either one. Either what one would be the, nice. What are the Dylan Cease literary influences? Are you a Plath? Are you Poe? <laughs> are you the Bard? Like where where you do, where do you lie? No, nah, total original. No no influence. <laughs> except Which... for uh, except for television and and movies and today's culture. That'd be the biggest influence. Awesome, cool, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And if you want to, uh, you know, if, if I could send you some of the creative writing manuals that I that I had to teach out of when I was a, uh, you don't want those. I, I think, Why would you? I want think the those? biggest thing we'd have to work on is grammar. The well, just remember the the comma goes inside the quotation marks. That is that is inside, the big thing. Okay. It's, it's got to go. Yeah, and everything goes inside the parentheses too. Otherwise, it just it drives me insane. Except when the parentheses end a sentence, then the period goes outside. English is hard, man. It doesn't make any sense. Hey, I, I'm just going to send you my rough draft. You're going to have to put the sentences together, but I'll, I'll get most of the ideas on the paper. I do your grammar corrections for it. That's no problem. Perfect. Dylan, appreciate you, my man. Yep. Thanks for All having right. me. Dylan Cease, White Sox starter and. Let's be honest, likely all-star here in the 2022 season, July 19th at Dodger Stadium. Hopefully we can get a a follow-up with what Dylan's looking to get done at the all-star game in terms of the fun things once he gets named. I I totally get the trepidation of of not wanting to talk about it too much. It hadn't happened yet. Uh, We're going to hear from Tony La Russa a little bit more here on uh, on, on White Sox Weekly. That's after the break. I'm Connor McKnight. It's the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network, I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox fans, August 6th is International Trading Card Day, and Tops wants to celebrate with you. Visit your participating local hobby shop where you'll receive a free pack of cards plus a special card if you purchase $10 or more of Tops products while supplies last. Post your packs on social media using the hashtag Tops. I-T-C-D, that's I-T-C-D, and follow along with Tops. 
Visit Tops.com for more information. That's kind of a cool little giveaway there, a cool little social media uh, tie-in with the Tops giveaways and Tops cards. We just got done talking with White Sox starter Dylan Cease. He is, let's be honest, more than likely heading to the All-Star game on July 19th. You know, one thing I for, I, I did forget to ask him about, the, the Twitter mustache poll that we've been running here in the first half of the season, We've because Dylan is, is wearing the, the immaculate mustache that he is, this year, uh, and because he succeeded so well, we've been asking you to vote on four different all-time baseball mustaches on each one of his starts. That's been the Twitter poll question. We have stopped the first round and are now tabulating slash finding the records that we took on who won which Twitter poll question. And in the second half of the season, we will pit the winners of those mustache Twitter poll questions against one another to boil things down to the finest and greatest baseball mustache of all time. Now, a couple of questions have been asked about these Twitter poll questions, and I have some answers. Yes, we did not use Raleigh Fingers in the first round of the Twitter poll mustache question. The reason is evident. Because if we put Raleigh in the Twitter poll question, he would win. So he's been advanced. He gets a first-round buy. Raleigh Fingers gets a first-round buy. He will be a candidate, uh, a contestant, in the second round of the Twitter poll mustache. I also have this question for you today, since it's Johnny Cueto's start and the Twitter poll mustache question is done for the first half. It advances to the second round after the All-Star break. We are asking you on the Twitter poll question, we use some help with you for us, rather, on the White Sox Weekly uh, show. We're asking for your favorite baseball character in a movie. Since T.A.'s going to Hollywood and the All-Star game is in... Uh, Dodger Stadium in Hollywood. We are trying to stay baseball movie focused. Who is your favorite character in a baseball movie? We've got candidates like uh, Benny the Jet, you know, from the Sandlot, Dottie Hinson uh, from A League of Their Own, Roy Hobbs from The Natural, if you like watching boring movies, Willie Mays Hayes, Ricky Vaughn, Crash Davis, Chet Stedman, all these, up to you. Give us a call, 312-332-3776. Your favorite character in a baseball movie. Uh, we will boil them down to the favorites and make that our Twitter poll question today. You can follow us at ESPN White Sox for all the fun stuff, nonsense, and news here on ESPN 1000's Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. We are uh, going to be joined by Jesse Rogers, who covers all of baseball for ESPN.com and is here at the ballpark and up north covering the two local teams as well. He's our next guest. We're going to get to him in just a bit. We're going to pause it here real quick. Ten seconds for Station ID. From the first Midwest Bank, a division of Old National Bank State Street Studio. This is WMVP, WSHD, HD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. I'm Connor McKnight. You're listening to White Sox Weekly. Jesse Rogers is our guest. He's next on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Tell your smart speaker, play ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. The gates to the ballpark are now open. The gates to the ballpark are now open here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Sox fans making their way to their seats in the bright sunshine here at the ballpark today. It is a glorious day for baseball. Jesse Rogers is our guest here on White Sox Weekly. Hey, Jess, are you down on the field enjoying taking in some of the sunshine and having conversations with a few White Sox players Yeah, it today? really is a perfect day for baseball. Uh, winning baseball. Yeah. White, White Sox could definitely use a win. I actually talked to some of the leaders of the team today, Jose Abreu, 
um, through, of course, translator uh, Billy Rousseau. He's a, 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 a good helping hand when always. you need him. Yep. And then I talked to Liam Hendricks, who always wears his heart on his sleeve. And I, I like this line he said. I said, I told him, you know, I'm a reporter. I have to write about you guys. What if you had to write about your team? What would you say? Because, you know, Liam, he's very honest. He said, most amount of talent that's underperforming. Mm. Pretty honest, because there is a lot of talent out there, but the, obviously the record is what it is right now. But there is plenty of time. The one thing about the 162, there are no flukes. You end up finding out who you are sometimes through 81 games. And sometimes it takes all 162. In other words, maybe this is who the White Sox are, a 500-ish team, or maybe there's still a run in them. They certainly need to uh, push some buttons and change some things to go on some second-half run to to reach the top of the division, which is still attainable, amazingly, because yeah. the division is kind of tightened up from top to bottom. You have Kansas City and even Detroit obviously playing a lot better. So still an interesting half of baseball to come, but I think we all agree White Sox have to play better. Yeah, no doubt about it. They, I, I would look at each individual season as like they are, it is its own thing. Yes. But at the same time, it's informed by other seasons and other teams that have done things like this prior, right? And, and I guess, you know, to that point, we talk about the Atlanta Braves last year who were at a very similar spot at the 81 game mark. They made a whole bunch of trades and completely reshaped their roster. So on the one hand, I look at a team like that, and I love to see your, your perspective on this mm-hmm. as a guy who covers the entire league. I go to a team like that and say, well, it can be done. And I look at this White Sox team and go, if they do do it, it won't be like that. It'll look a lot different than that. And I think both of those things are pretty understandable and attainable, even though it seems difficult from here. Yeah, it, you have to be a little careful because for every Atlanta Brave team, there's many, many others that don't overcome and win their divisions and go to the playoffs, right? Uh, and the odds say, just based on history, White Sox have a really long climb to do it, meaning the Braves are just like the fourth team to have the record they had through 80 games and make it to the postseason since, or win the division, I should say, Yeah, since, 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 since 1969. Yeah. There's all sorts of things I, I've mentioned a few weeks ago when the White Sox run differential got really bad. They'll just be the eighth team to overcome a run differential of minus 58. So there are these these sort of things that have happened in history that inform us, as you mentioned. But it doesn't mean it can happen. And especially in a division, some of these other divisions probably were better than the White Sox division and still uh, teams overcame. So you have to weigh everything, history, what the situation looks like currently, what the numbers tell you. I will say this, if you want to look at the glass being half full, there are five starting pitchers on this team that either have the experience, the stuff, or both to propel this team on a run. Hasn't happened yet, but if you're going to believe in in them doing what the Braves did last year, it has to start right there. Those five guys taking charge night in and night out for two, three weeks, and they go on this run. I'm not sure there's other parts of the game that can propel them the way that staff could. So that's that's glass half full type thinking. That's how you get it done. So to that end, I, I've been asked this question. We've been talking about the offense pretty much all season long, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's it's the standout area where the White Sox should be better and aren't yet. What do they do best offensively to, from your perspective? And what is the one spot where you say that this has to change or they're not going to get where they want to go. Second thing is easier to answer because it? it's been so underachieving. I, and I asked Tony about this today. Maybe you could you play it during the pregame or whatever. Uh, chasing pitches. 
They're just chasing too much. The last couple nights are such prime examples because we saw veteran and or really good hitters chase pitches. Jose Abreu, two nights ago, was down on three pitches. The third pitch, way out of the zone. Yeah, high fastball, way out. Andrew Vaughn, yesterday, pinch hitting. At least one of the swings, way out of the zone. I think uh, Luis Robert was the other one. Luis has chased too much all season. That would be the number one thing that, that has held them back because teams lock onto that immediately. That's the easiest thing to see in the scouting report. I mean, it's like, actually I was thinking about this on the drive-in. It's like if, you, if a football team huddled and the quarterback was going to say something, he'd say, these guys are chasing, don't throw anything in the zone, break. You know, like I picture the pitching coach saying that to, to the opposing team. That's like the easiest thing to do, start throwing pitches outside the zone. And Tony talked about today, if you stop chasing that much, you get walks, number one. No doubt. Then pitches are, pitchers are forced to throw into the strike zone. Now you can barrel up some balls. I mean, such a trickle-down effect if you simply start ch- stop chasing. Easier said than done. Now, what this team has done well in spurts, they have sprayed the ball. They have used the field. They have gone up the middle. Their team batting average is pretty good. Now, they haven't squared up balls as much as they need to. Home runs, slug, right, especially from the right side. And I feel like... Being a right-handed dominant team, the slug gets reduced against right-handed pitching, and you see many more righties. Mm-hmm. Sox have only faced 17 lefty starters this year. But they have made the most of it in a sense in terms of just getting on base through hits, up the middle, the right side. So they have that done that well. They need to sort of take that to the next level and get more slug out of the righties in general. I mean, Luis Roberts is a great player. He just hit his, what, eighth home run last night? They need a little bit more than, than that out of those kind of guys. And, of course, Eloy being back helps. No no doubt about it. Uh, tenth for, for Luis Robert last night, but the point's well taken. Tenth, ten I'm sorry. Is, yeah. ten, is, ten at the 82-game the mark is, is where not where everybody thought he'd be at. I, one of the things Glenn and DJ were talking about last night, as the eighth inning was rolling along and they were uh, getting a couple back, and as they got the tying run, winning run to the plate in the ninth, they've done that a lot and though they haven't come through in every single moment, they have had their big hits. Leary's had two in the last week and a half or whatever it is. What, what does that mean to you, if anything, that an offense like this that has struggled the way it has, yet still has the puck on the stick, so to speak, quite often? Two things. And, and let's not forget Josh Harrison had some That's right. big hits the last Absolutely month. Right. It, his numbers are now looking like normal, yeah. so to speak. Um, two, it tells me two things. One, and I've, I've mentioned this on the radio a few times, I mean, people that want to be critical, they have not, like, laid down and quit on Tony La Russa. They haven't. I think that kind of shows. Now, I don't think June or July is the time to lay down anyway. If you're going to lay down, it's usually September, you're 10 out. That's when you... So, but if people are wondering, ah, this team has quit, you know, it's kind of a thing you say sometimes. No, I think they're, they're, they're still playing the game through, through the nine innings. But it also reminds you of, of what Liam Hendricks just said. There is talent here, and... Over nine innings, over 162, it usually is going to show up at some point. If, and yes, they may struggle for a while, but then it clicks in at some point. So there's at least something to build off of there. Okay, here's a team that's coming back and not quitting, and here's also a team that we see the offensive talent show up. That was a great two-out rally they had going last night. Um, but there's obviously other things that have to happen for them to either finish that rally off, mm-hmm. not chase for one, or not get into a position where you're you're chasing and trying to win walk off you know games like we've seen earlier. So, um, but at least there's that talent there that uh, and there's something to build off of. As a reporter, 
it, it'd be easier for me to explain things if they were 15 under 500 or 15 over. This flirt with 500 is just, and this is why talking to players, even they don't have the exact answer. The answer I hear most is we just have to keep grinding. Yeah. We just have to keep working and we'll come out of it. If they were 15 under, I'm not sure that answer would fly. And if they were 15 over, they'd be giving some other answer. But this kind of flirt with 500 results in let's just keep going, let's just keep working, let's just keep working, especially when the division has allowed you to stay in it. It's an uncomfortable place to be in for any baseball team, that's for sure. Jesse Rogers, our guest here on White Sox Weekly. It's the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Pre-game for the White Sox and Tigers coming up in about 20 minutes, 1230. We'll get that going. I, I do want to, you know, Love doing White Sox Weekly. It's one of my favorite things to get to do on the station. But Saturdays means that I don't get to go down and, and hear from Tony La Russa and get into the dugout. Would love to pick your brain about a couple of things that either maybe did or didn't get addressed today. How is uh, Andrew Vaughn is in the lineup and yep. DHing today. How is he feeling? What was he dealing with? Um, and was he dealing with it a little bit last night when he did get the pinch hit appearance? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that part, but I assume so. I assume so. I mean, that's why... You didn't see him until that moment. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen him in the last three days pregame. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. So there's been an illness there or, or whatnot. If it was just like sore legs, you would you would see him sitting at his locker. So he hasn't really been available. Uh, Tony deemed it as an illness. Uh, I'm assuming it affected him. Uh, he, it, no BP, not in the lineup last week. He gets up there three swings or three pitches, and, and he's out. So he just didn't look like himself. Um, there was a question he must be well enough to play uh, the field because that's what they were waiting on with the lineup. Tony, I even asked Tony before the lineup was out. He's just we're just waiting on on Pito whether it's uh, first base or DH. Sure. And Vaughn, the opposite. So Vaughn's DHing, but it sounded like he was available to play first base. So I think he's pretty much over what he had. Uh, but I haven't seen him his jo- jovial self, so to sure. speak, in the locker room, hanging out, talking. He's such a nice, friendly kid. So let's just hope he's past it. And uh, can have some good at-bats, because obviously Eloy's getting the day off after playing three in a row. Joe Kelly has had a rough stretch over the last little bit, and it wasn't going to be so many back-to-backs for Kelly and Graveman, I think, in this last couple of weeks leading up to the All-Star break, and the hope was that that could happen afterward. Is this a situation where you want to get him back out there and kind of clear the cobwebs of what happened last night? Can they are, are they able to do that yet with where he and the rest availability wise? Yeah, I'll say I'll give it. I'll give Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly one excuse. If they had both coming back uh, from their injuries and and started the season behind everybody, and the team was in first place by five or six games, everything was rolling. You could understand it. You could accept it. You could deal with some some hiccups. Problem is they can't afford many hiccups. So I think Tony. I, but the problem is also it's there's not that many arms that aren't being used down there. They're, they're using them a lot. They really need to flip the sort of innings pitch between the bullpen and the and the starters in the second half. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I think Tony needs to find spots that aren't as high leverage if he can. And and I know Matt Foster had a great start to the season. Maybe slowed down a little bit. You, you're going to have to find. Lopez or, or Ruiz in more high leverage and let Joe Kelly, you, you sign a guy that was behind the eight ball from the get-go and he's been behind ever since. And now he's thrown into every high leverage situation available. I mean, Graveman's on pace to blow away his career high in appearances. Thank God Liam Hendricks is back. I don't have a great answer on the Joe Kelly situation. Sure. It's hard to 
get a guy back to what he is in the middle of a pennant race when you are underachieving in the first place as a team. So for me, Renaldo Lopez has been terrific out of the bullpen. He seems to really found something there. That slider, which is, you know, as a starter, wasn't the best slider, is, is now kind of dangerous, especially with the way he's play, placing the fastball. I think what makes Ronaldo such an intriguing bullpen piece is that he can give you two innings in, in a lot of different mm-hmm. situations. You, do you have to maybe scale that back so that he can be this White Sox fans run your Kelly for a little bit while Joe figures it out? Is that I, kind I think, of a solve? I, I think that's a good idea. Okay. I, I do. I think that's a good idea. High leverage at this point is more important than eating two innings in a five-run game or whatever whatever the case may be. Um, Matt Foster had really worked his way into to Tony's good graces. I mean, there's a circle of trust yeah. with high leverage relievers. And, and throughout a season, you can work your way in and, and out, especially for younger pitchers. I think there's a chance for Foster to work his way back in. I think Joe Kelly might be working his, his way back out. But that's just because I, I, I think the talent's there with Joe Kelly. It just he, he hasn't had that opportunity to sort of work his way into it. He's just been thrown right into the fire. But he's also being paid good money to, to get those outs, and he knows it. This is not something Joe Kelly would shy away from. So, yeah, Connor, the, the long answer is they, they, they may have to find some other answers, and, and Lopez is as good as any right now. Velocity's still good for Joe Kelly, so that's one thing you can definitely check a box for. And we've seen him get two outs in the inning, yeah. and then all of a sudden he loses control. No doubt. And then no there's doubt. this hit. I mean, he didn't get hammered yesterday, if I remember the, the couple hits that got to him. But he, he's just he hasn't been sharp from the start of an outing to the finish of an outing very often, you know? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, Jesse, we are we are approaching that time of year. We've got the All-Star game coming up here uh, next week. Yeah. Uh, trade deadline is August 3rd this year. August 2nd second, this year? Second, yeah. August 2nd this year because it moves now, which is a weird thing. Yes, but it that's, is. That's what we're doing. Um, what what do you start to hear from teams around the? Let's do a kind of a thirty thousand foot view, Major League Baseball headline sort of thing. You know, a man who talks to people. Yeah, who definitely, are very definitely. Important. What the, are we hearing? The whispers have already begun about um, relief arms. Arms are, are are it's such an arms race in in July. Um, starters, relievers, anything you can get. Uh, there's good relievers on teams out of the race. You always have to be careful though. Guy's been having a good year. No one's paying attention to him. Team's in last place. You throw him into a pennant race, yeah. and all of a sudden things can change. So you really have to do your history on him. Has he previously done well in a pennant race? What's it? What's his mindset? Have he, you know, talked to the manager, whoever you could talk to that knows this guy, because that can be dangerous. But um, there are uh, Sox are definitely going to be looking for relievers. I can tell you that much. I'm not sure the Sox can change the dynamic of their offense. Um, it, it, like the Braves did, for example. I don't think that they need to necessarily. Last year we saw them go get Cesar Hernandez. Um, they probably could use a similar left-handed bat that could play second base, uh, though Josh Harrison has played well, but he's a righty. Um, I think the moves the Sox are going to make are mostly going to be on the mound. Your best players have to be your best players, and that's your one through six in the batting order. And if they underachieve. I'm not sure anything Rick Hahn can do in late July is going to make the difference. But to fortify, um, th- th- look, if they're going to win this division, they're probably going to be winning a lot of close games. That's my guess, the second half. Sure. And you need good high-leverage relievers. You need a secondary Kendall Graveman, a secondary Joe Kelly. Um, you know what I'm saying? Guys that can, that can fill in after they've been used. Um, and also just the fact that some of them have struggled. You need to find guys having good years. And So the, the, I don't think there's any doubt 
Rick's going to find a righty and or a lefty in the bullpen, just like he did last year. How about big other deadline moves? You know, elsewhere in the league, are, are we talking about a, a, you know, Frankie Montas has gone through a little shoulder issue, I think, in, in Oakland. Luis Castillo. You looked great move. last night, Luis Castillo. No, Wellington Castillo get moved. Uh, Wellington Castillo. Wilson, Wilson Contreras. Contreras. I always do that. with. Yeah, I have for years For, now former Cubs time. catchers. I have yeah. no idea why. Yeah. And one of them here too. Uh, are are those big names potentially on the move here? Absolutely. This deadline? Absolutely. I think Luis Castillo is absolutely going to have a new address, and um, it's all about how you're pitching in July or playing. It really is. You can have a great April, but if you're bad in July, that team is not going to get the haul. If Luis Castillo repeats his performance from like last night and recent, oh, really all season he's been good. The Reds are going to get a haul. You don't you don't start sort of a mini rebuild and keep hold on to him. You make that change. Cubs are in the same position with Wilson Contreras. His contract is up. You can always re-sign him if you really want him. Mm. Uh, Yankees did that with Raldis Chapman That's years right. ago. So, yes, Castillo on the move. I think Benintendi is going to be on the move, free agent as, as well. Um, not many left-handed bats out there. Um, Andrew Chafin, I thought, might be on the move, but Detroit might like want to keep – he has a year left. Yeah. They might want to keep their little core together, not necessarily for this year, you know, even though they're on a run now, but just thinking maybe next year we can really um, compete. So there's not many lefty bats or lefty arms, good ones, available. So I think there will be a little bit of a, a bidding war, especially for a guy like Benintendi. But right, righty arms are available all over the place, and I think that's those are the guys that are going to move. We were talking about the Orioles before we came on here, yeah. and I, I they're just so much fun to watch. I mean, it's, what they did to the White Sox wasn't so much fun to watch here, but they are a fun rebuilding team. I, I root for stories like that. Anthony Santander, Trey Mancini, are those pieces that that move? You know, those are kind of that second-tier bats, but... The Orioles could kind of, you know, really add on to what they're already doing here. Yeah, I think the Orioles are in a position that they'll add on if it, if if they're going to have a guy for more than just this course two months. It's not about rentals for them, so their trades might look a little different if they make a lot of them. I, I don't. Does Mancini get you a prospect uh, with six years of eligibility? You know what I mean, yes. or or even one with two and a half years? You know, so. Uh, they don't need rentals because they're not going to make that run. Their 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 trades are going to be very targeted towards the future. It is interesting. I don't think fans realize that's what a lot of GMs. There there really are two trade seasons, and it's not just about um, when you make a trade in July, August, and September. That's just one time where trades are made, and it could be about your future. And then the other time is obviously the off season. So you'll see a lot of GMs make moves that sometimes you don't get. Because this is just the time to do it. You're thinking about next year and the years beyond. And I'm sure that's what Baltimore's thinking. That's what the Chicago Cubs are thinking, for example. And this is just one of the years, one of the times of the year where, where players move. So some teams are looking for rentals. Some are looking for um, long-term you know, guys with four or five, even six years, if they're a prospect, that, that, that could be in uh, their new organization. Jesse, appreciate you as always. Are you going to L.A. for the All-Star game? You no, the it's the off? first All-Star game I'm getting off. Oh. I heard you talk in a long, long time just because I covered the lockout. So they were like, take a break. <laughs> but um, I heard you talking to Cease. Yeah. I was at the tie game. This is how old I am, you Connor. I was the at the All-Star oh, game, goodness. tie game in Milwaukee. This is how uh, young a pup I was in the business. They had me like in the cheap. Uh, media seats way out in right field. The Euchre seats. You, yeah. so I, in, with my binoculars, I can remember myself looking, and Bud Selig's in the stands. Yes. It's not like he's in the office. He's on the first base side. And they're huddling, huddling. What do we do? What do we do? And then they declared a tie, and it was like, 
I did like ten radio shows that night yeah, all over right. the place, and it was like, oh my god, this is the this is historic, right? I don't remember a lot about the game. You mentioned a few things, but I do remember that moment yeah. when they declared it a tie. God, what a what twenty years ago? Yeah. that is absolutely well. Canerco had two doubles, and Mark Burley pitched two innings. Jesse, appreciate you, my man. We'll let you go. Uh, we'll check in soon. I would imagine right around the deadline too. For sure. Have a good one, Connor. Jesse Rogers, ESPN. Always a wonderful guest to have here on White Sox Weekly. We got to hit the break because we had way too much fun talking baseball with Jesse. I'm Connor McKnight. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. A huge thank you to Dylan Cease, Jesse Rogers, Eric Ostrowski, and Charlie Bevins. The pregame show is next for the White Sox and Tigers. It's the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. What's up, everybody? It's Adam Abdallah. This baseball season turned K's into cash and big hits into big wins 